0: As Luke mentioned, we're doing this series called Feltboard Jesus. How many of you even know what a Feltboard is? I didn't, like I mentioned a, a few minutes earlier, um, I didn't grow up in church. And this is a fascinating thing to me, this whole Feltboard phenomenon. If you didn't grow up with Feltboard in Sunday school, let me explain it really quick. So a Feltboard, um, you'll see a lot of this. And you may see very similar characters from time to time that just get new beards and new clothes, and all of a sudden Jesus becomes Moses, and, you know, it's just, it's all good, because we're just saving on felt. But, um, I have, my wife and I have six kids at home, which means that we have seen Sunday school come through a lot. Our oldest is 12, our youngest is 21 months, and we have everybody in between. We've got twins that are four and a half, we've got a a seven-year-old, a nine-year-old, and a 12-year-old, and, um, And so we have watched a lot of the Sunday school phenomenon, and I'm not trying to be critical, but I didn't grow up in the church, and it's always fascinating to me to see what they bring home. So... We're going to talk about this story, and and I'll read it in a minute. But um, you look at this story, and what they bring home are little fish or fishing poles or a net or something like that. And that's fine. It's part of the story. Um, But they've also brought home crowns and lambs and sheep and boats and all this kind of stuff. And we began to think about how the way that the, the Bible is taught to all of us. and the persons of the Bible and how they're taught to us. And sometimes we get really surface answers for really tough questions because we try to tell the Bible and all about God through a felt board. And so what we're looking at this semester is this this idea that that many of the Bible stories, whether you grew up in church or not, some of the stories we're going to look at you've probably heard of. Like, I I grew up in Seattle, Washington, and by the way, four of our staff members are all from Seattle. We're here to evangelize the South. Um, We've heard you've never heard of Jesus. So um, we're here for you. Um, On a serious note, there are seven of us on staff this year, four interns, two of them are UTC grads, Will Dowry and Mary Alice (laughs) Osmond. Don't clap. It only took them eight years, um, but um, they're not the brightest. So um, just kidding. Um, and then uh, Hannah, who you saw, Hannah Snyder, comes to us from the University of Georgia. We have, we have eight fans over there. And then Thomas Bowman, who I saw last in the balcony, is from the University of Washington in Seattle. Go Huskies. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty sad. We have more Husky fans in this house than Georgia fans. That's scary. Um, our influence is growing. Um, but all seven of us are here to, to meet with you. We want to know your story. We know that this is a big crowd, and some of you might look at us and go, I, I don't want anything to do with you, but we're, we're here to have a cup of coffee with you, take you out to lunch, something like that, and we want to hear your story. Where we come from, the, those of us that are from um, those are from Seattle and other parts. Uh, Jesus was taught to us sometimes differently, and it's been really interesting for me to live in the South for 15 years now, and learn a little bit about what I consider is, is kind of a different culture for me. And, and, and second of all, because I didn't grow up in church either, my dad taught philosophy at the University of Washington, Seattle. I was raised with my older brother as an atheist. And I didn't want, I didn't even think that God existed. And honestly, I thought that people that believed in God were a little stupid. A lot stupid. Because they needed to, to depend on something other than themselves. And it wasn't until I saw my father drink himself um, and pass out every single night that I started to wonder if he was as smart as he was during the day. Because obviously there was something where his intellect could not help him uh manage life. And that made me start to ask a lot of questions. And somebody handed me a Gideon's Bible outside my school. I started to read it. At that same time, a ministry called Young Life had started at my high school and came to be... Yeah, Young Life. I know we have a lot of Young Life people. Young Life is a big, big part of my story because I had a Young Life leader who sat down with me and shared life with me, and answered my ridiculous, stupid questions. And he showed me what Jesus was like. So, back to the series. Feltboard Jesus is our attempt to dive a little deeper at some of the stories that whether you grew up in church or not, that you've probably heard the characters' names and you've heard the thing you brought home, the craft maybe. But is that really what the story's about? So that's what we're going to do. Tonight we're going to look at this story where my kids come home with fish and nets, and it's Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. It's going to be up on the screen if you ever bring your Bible to the house. Nobody does anymore, but you, know, you might be the first. Um, Mark 1, 14 through 20, I'm going to read it for us. After John, that was John the Baptist, was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, that's a region around the area, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. So, the way that I've seen this story taught in Sunday school is you get kids to draw a boat or net and a fish, and the story is, the story is, go and bring other people to Jesus fish for them, okay? Now, hear me out on this, because I'm going to say this almost every week. There is some truth to that, but is that what the story is really about? That it becomes about us and what we're supposed to do? Or what is happening here in the very first chapter of the Gospel of Mark, that a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi, walks along a seashore, calls out to a boat, and a couple of Okay, so it's a fishing pole. It's not a net. You should have seen me try to cut out a net. It was was not pretty. But, um, and he says to them, come, follow me. Now, we need to dive into a little bit of history to understand why this was so profound. In Jesus' day, to be a rabbi's disciple meant that Jewish boys were usually required to memorize the entire Old Testament. Okay? So that is this on the left, my left, your right, okay, memorize, memorize the whole thing, okay, the Old Testament, that was just what you were expected to do. Then if you showed particular understanding and insight into it, then you were allowed to progress to the next phase. And then, if you found a rabbi, a teacher of the law, of God's law, that you wanted to particularly follow, you looked around at the different rabbis, you liked the way that they interpreted Scripture, you would go up to them and say, Rabbi, I'd like to follow you. Okay, And that rabbi would then put you through some tests. Would put you through some tests, and if you then became the best of the best remember, memorize the whole Old Testament, showed particular insights, cut, 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 and then finally you were the best of the best, that rabbi would then invite you to follow him. So, Jesus walks along the seashore, and he calls to fishermen and says, come, follow me. No tests, no memorization. In fact, these men... And the next men, and then the next, were all of the people that didn't make it. They got cut. How many of you have ever gotten cut from something? A team, a club, or something? How many, ever, how many of you have ever been told that you weren't good enough at something? How many of you, um, how many of you, I didn't, actually, I didn't think people would raise their hands, but I admire the honesty. How many of you then, when you didn't make the cut, and then when you, weren't, when you felt like you weren't good enough or somebody actually told you you weren't good enough, how many of you then began to tell yourselves, well, I didn't really want that anyway? Don't we do that? When we don't make the cut, when we don't get there, when we, then we go something like, well, I didn't really want that anyway. Build up a wall, right? You have to wonder if these men, had been already begun to do that. They said forget the rabbi disciple thing. I'm just going to fish. I'm be a fisherman. That's fine. But Jesus had another idea. You know, cuz here's the hard thing about the things that we do want in our lives. And then we don't get it and then we convince ourselves that we didn't really want it in the first place. It usually comes back to us, doesn't it? We find that later on that we thought that we were over him, over her. We thought that we really, really didn't want to be in that club, that fraternity, that sorority, whatever, that we, we find that we really did. We really did. It comes back to us in some way. And what's interesting in this story, and I think it applies to us too, is that Jesus went to those disciples and said, I know that you began to tell yourself that. But guess what? I'm here to say that you're now with me. I know you wanted that. And now in my time, in my way, you get to follow a rabbi and it's me. That's why I think they dropped their nets immediately and came and followed him. I've got some other ideas that I'll save for another time about what Jesus must have looked like and the way that he said it that made these fishermen leave their family trade and drop it immediately and come and follow. There had to be something about this person that is much more than a guy with a beard and a robe and a purse bowl sash, okay? It had to be more than that. So, in a way that only Jesus can do, I believe that those things that we want in our heart, the things that those men wanted in their heart, Jesus can answer that, but in a way that's different and greater than we could ever imagine. So, I know a lot of you are here for the very first time, and you're wondering what all of this is about. The staff is about, what what the house is about, And I shared with you at the very beginning of this service what my prayer is, what our prayer is as a staff. But here is another way of putting it. This is a group of people that's simply trying to follow Jesus. We're simply trying to follow Jesus, and we're going to admit up front that we don't get it right 100% of the time. We mess up. There are a lot of people, myself included, that don't quite look like Jesus a lot of the time. But we're trying to follow Jesus, and I'll tell you why in a minute. But we try to follow Jesus in this, worship. We sing. We listen to God's word. We we try to figure out who Jesus was and what he was about. What is the character of God in the Old Testament? Because Jesus is the fulfillment of that. So we're going to look at all those kind of stories. So we do it here in worship. As Jason mentioned, and those guys that stood up here (laughs) kind of portrayed, uh, We do it in things like core groups. We do it by challenging each other, by praying for each other, by holding each other accountable and comforting one another. Can I tell you one of the things that I've loved over 15 years of watching core groups? We do end up doing a lot of weddings here that that come through the house. It's not a plug for staying involved in this ministry, but they do happen. One of the greatest joys for us on staff is to see bridesmaids and groomsmen that didn't know each other freshman year and they were in a core group and that's their bridal party. That in four years, five years, those core groups became the closest of friends. And so when a man was pledging his life to his wife, he wanted those men standing with him. That bride pledging her love to her husband, one of those women standing next to her. So we try to follow Jesus through core groups. We do things like retreats. We try to, we try to serve the world, serve the community through missions. And honestly, we like to have fun together. That's what we wanna be as a ministry. We don't wanna be boring. We don't wanna be serious all the time. But we wanna provide a place where it's all right to have a good time you're in college for goodness sake and all of it is this guy calling us to life so we're trying to follow jesus that's what the house is about and why jesus we believe he's the son of god who takes away the sins of the world Now, those of you that are in Sunday school, and been in Sunday school, go, that is the Sunday school answer. I could have repeated that to you. And we do believe that, but he's also more than that. He's also more than that. Those of you that are here at UTC and at university and studying need to know that there's a lot of people that aren't even caring about that question. Who can take away my sins? You know that already. Who can take away my sins? It's an irrelevant, it's an outdated question for a lot of people. But one of the things that I think that you should consider is this. Dallas Willard, who is a professor of philosophy at University of um, Southern California, Says in his lectures and, and writings that every philosopher, every teacher, every religious leader needs to answer these questions. What is true? What is good? What is real? And how do you live a good, real, and true life? And so all of these classes, all of these people that are going to be presenting you with information over the next four or five years, so you seniors one or two years, depending on how well UTC has kept track of your credits. They have to answer that question because that's what we all desire out of life, isn't it? What's true? What's good? What's real? What's fake? And how do we live a good, real, and true life? So Jesus in addition to being the one who can take away everything wrong that you've ever done and ever will done, will do, will, well done. Anyway, you know what I meant. He's the one that also can tell you what's real, what's good, what's true, and how to live a life that is real and good and true. And so Jesus didn't stop that day when he said, come follow me, calling people to himself. That song that we, we sang, is that the right way to say it? <laughs> song, half sung, have sung. You know, um, this is psychology major. I didn't use English. Um, the song that we sang before this, come away. He's still calling. He's still calling us. He hasn't stopped. And if you've never made it, didn't make the team you didn't make the cut somebody told you what some point are you saying to yourself all the time that you're not good enough if you don't think that you measure up jesus is saying i know you feel that way i know you've given up on the things that you want but come follow me he's still saying that i was in the hub yesterday and i was asking a handful of students What do you think that college students hear when they hear this passage when Jesus says, come, follow me? and One guy that was extremely insightful, I won't share his name because I didn't ask for permission, but he said this. He said that most of the time when college students hear Jesus say, come, follow me, one of four things is going on you go, well, I've got a lot of friends that aren't really into the Jesus thing or the Christian thing, and I don't want to lose them. Um, The second thing is is that things are going really well for me right now, so why follow? Why not just kind of skate through life the way things are going now? A third thing is that I've got a lot going on. (laughs) Juggling a lot of school, or I got work, all this kind of stuff. I don't have time to add something to my schedule. And still, the fourth one is that, well, I already prayed a prayer at camp when I was eight. So why follow? You know what? Those are legitimate ba- obstacles because I don't think that we've done a good job of presenting Jesus as one worthy of following with our lives every single day. I think that we've painted Jesus onto a felt board and left him there. He's not relevant. What would make these fishermen drop their nets and follow? What would make you say, I've got a lot going on, but... Jesus is intriguing to me. So, I thought that that student had some great insights. And you might have something to add to it about why people may not follow. Let me make this case, and you can come up and argue with me afterwards if you want. We can talk about it. I think we're all following something. We're all following something. On the very first day of school, when I dropped my 12-year-old son off in the carpool line, this is at Signal Mountain Middle School, I saw boy after boy after boy wear this. Nike shoes, Nike Elite socks, basketball shorts, and a dry fist shirt. I'm not kidding. Athlete or not, it's the same outfit. (laughs) I don't know who first started that trend, okay? But somewhere, everybody got the message. They're all following that, whatever that is. You see, we're made to follow something. Some of you... This was my experience, by the way, in psychology. Some of you are going to get an A on one of your first tests in a major you never considered before going to college. And that professor is going to tell you, I think you've got a knack for this. And you're going to be so filled up with that praise that you're going to go, you're going to follow everything that that professor says for the next four years. Some of you ladies are going to have a guy Say to you, you're the most beautiful girl I've ever seen. And you're going to go follow. Here's my warning. In both of those cases, ask yourself, are they real? Are they good? Are they true? Because we're all going to follow someone. Jesus says, come follow me. So, my question for you tonight is Who are you going to follow? Let's pray together. God, it's hard to believe. It's hard to believe that you, the God of this universe, who made everything with your voice, would come to this earth in the flesh and reach out to those men on a boat that day and reach out now to all of us and say, come and follow. Lord, I'm going to admit, and maybe just for more people than just me, that we don't know who you are. We've followed maybe a version of you, an idea of you, what we've been told about you. We've reduced you to a two-dimensional action figure. God, you are so much more. And so I pray that over this semester, We would see you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.